This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. During the spookiest time of the year, there are a few guidelines all ghosts and goblins should follow. Always stay on sidewalks. Never go to a stranger's house. And never go out alone. Uh, it was impossible to dismiss it as a, you know, a coincidence of shadow play and digital noise. And... There was something inexplicable in our house. That was beyond doubt. Welcome back, listeners, to 31 for 31. It is day 23. And uh, 23. <laughs> Happy 23. This is Jamie Lansdowne, and we have Lake Mungo, a 2008 Australian psychological horror film written directed by Joel Anderson. As always, I am joined by my co-host. Chris Boniello. Cody Mason. Let's just dive right in. Dive into the lake. Whoa. If you will. Well, I'm I'm just still uh, demanding a recount. It, there's for... not much water in the lake. <laughs> well, there that's so that's the twist. You know, there's two lakes, but I'm still just demanding my recount. I know the listeners have been tweeting and tweeting and tweeting. You know, it was trending last night. Like, come on, where's Jim Carrey's the number twenty three for twenty third? You know, I I tried everybody, but you know, here we are, Lake Mungo, twenty three. <laughs> the number twenty three is the only film. I don't know why, but I left the theater and as I was walking out, I just became incredibly sick and threw up all over the place. <laughs> you threw up 23 <laughs> ounces. <laughs> and I never need to see that. And they form the numbers, again. the spew. Yeah, yeah. That, maybe that was my 23rd puke. Oh my gosh. It all goes Whoa. back, which reminds me. Let's go back to the beginning of Lake Mungo. Uh, I like, I had this movie suggested to me by Jamie last year and it is a slow burn and i feel like this watch i have definitely appreciated it more definitely something we're gonna talk about the whole plot synopsis of because i feel like we can cover it pretty cleanly but it's more about the style and the you know the things they don't do that makes this a good pick i feel like for me mm-hmm. this is my first time ever watching it after jamie suggesting it many times last year and i don't know where i've landed yet on it i'm a little in i'm a little out the more I think about some pieces, the less they work. The more I think about other pieces, the better I think it is overall. So it's it's a tough one for me right now. It's still marinating. Yeah. Hey, these are all valid. You know, we're gonna talk about it. We're gonna we're gonna go through. It fits well at this part of the list, regardless. Yeah. I think it's a good downswing just because we've had a lot of very very hyper stylized, very well staged and well shot movies all in a row that are so 
you know, either practically done or done with such love and care and, you know, directorial effort. And I feel like this is one that does not overemphasize its looks and it, you know, it has a standard definition charm that kind of adds to the ghostly grain of it all, as I would call it. And it, it is something that if it were shot on iPhones three years later, I was just telling Jamie would probably make it a worse movie rather than the flip phones used <laughs> for some yeah. of the found footage of this. It, the, the style certainly helps it in the time it came out. Like we said, it came out in 2008. I think it kind of came out before the true crime wave that just kind of swept the nation and is still... I I think of like making a murder, which to me, I felt like really blew the doors off of like true crime and this sort of like. I was the visual serial, if you will. <laughs> yes, yes. And I think this takes advantage of that by being ahead of the curve and really telling a story. This this was the jinx. <laughs> yeah. Telling a story without really winking to the audience. And I mean, you could easily kind of share this to someone and not tell them that it's fake and they might believe that it's true <laughs> or at yeah. least like the it, at least the, you know like it could have been faked or whatever but like it could have been a sincere documentary and yeah think- and it starts off how so many crew crime documentaries start with a a woman who is basically dead in a dam and it seems like her family all saw her go swimming and kind of got lost under mysterious circumstances swimming in this dam. And eventually they find her dead body. And for that first 15 minutes where they're really setting things up quickly, it sounds like that first episode of a, of a murder podcast where they're like, okay, well, we'll find out about the boyfriend who was secretly involved in the murder or someone who, you know, she was doing this off on the side and she was trying to swim away from somebody. And it ends up taking this complete other turn towards like there being no foul play. It just being a situation where how does this relate to her ghost trying to help her family explore her life a little bit more rather than discover this big thing. There are a couple discoveries along the way, but it's not like blowing the doors off the case in any way, which I think is um, makes for a very downbeat resolution, which I think works out well later on. Yeah, it's like it's almost mundane, like and the way the the film is presented, you know, it's very it's a documentary. It has some, you know, found footage footage elements and like the performances are all natural. I mean, they're basically just talking heads Uh, and it amazes me because, you know, you think of, you know, I've worked on documentaries and it's there's certain pieces of putting together, cobbling together a documentary that you're just kind of finding whatever you can. And even though they obviously are writing this stuff, it just feels so natural and real, which I always found impressive. And even like the other, like the natural details or like almost odd details that they would add in that they're obviously constructing these, but I think it just helps tell the narrative. The one I think about is there's like the, the, the father's giving an anecdote about you know, the car couldn't drive after he went to identify the body and they drive in reverse the way home. And that seems like such a weird thing, but it's almost like those are the things that are reality, like weird things like that or like little elements like that just happen in reality. And it just adds so much to making this feel like a lived in 
experience that these people had. Right. And, and that's and, not over buttering the sandwich of like, oh, their world was upside down and they drove yeah. it first. It's like it's not showed visually. It's just kind of thrown in performance. Like it's all these little touches that make it like, oh, this seems like this really creeping, you know, up upending of their entire life and worldview. And they they do such a good job because they're just really polite Australians, <laughs> which to an American audience reads as like so polite and almost cold that they're talking about the worst trauma they could ever experience as parents and as siblings and as friends. And it comes across so mundane as Jamie was saying, which in in American context would be seen as like creepy or like, you know, detached. But with this, it just seems like they're so pleasant. And that adds this layered nuance to their performance of like still being that polite and almost chipper. But talking about and you can see in their eyes the thing that is like yeah. the, the thing that drained the life out of them, <laughs> which just makes the whole talking head situation so unique compared to what you're used to and seeing like a true crime or even paranormal like revisiting with it. All the emotions are usually so heightened. Yeah. And I feel like at the beginning, it, it threw me off a bit with how friendly they were, how matter of fact they are and how naturalistic it was. I mean, it's one of those that came came right after a time where you could have put this on a VHS tape and, you know, snuck it into a sleepover party and told people it was real. And it's also a little ahead of the time where I feel like you would get a full room 237 YouTube deconstruction of this in every scene and, and where Alice moves in different parts of the movie. And so it's just it just it just kind of missed it a little. Yeah, it's it's in a weird sleepy area. And I think like, you know, the basic, you know, concept of the movie is how there are these red herrings and ebbs and flows about the nature of the found footage and photography that the family kind of analyzes after the death of this daughter. And is she actually a ghost coming back to haunt them? There's, you know, scenes that reveal that her, the brother was using composite photography to help exhume the body to give his mother closure, for example. And then, but wait, we actually saw a ghost or, the, you know, check that corner here. And I think that just adds to this whole layered element of is it a psychological thing? Is it is it real? And it ends up kind of making a case for it being real. And but in a way that's more about their grief, which I think is a stronger way of ending it. But, you know, it's it's got these these moments and especially once we get to the end, we could talk about like the haunting of Hill house, blind manor <laughs> effect of, you know, finding the ghost in the background and having all of this very textured film grain or standard definition video revealing so much in its small details that are just out of focus or just grainy enough not to know. And I think that's why it's super unsettling is just because it's, it's that idea of not showing the monster in its full, in its full light but even though they're usually fully lit or you know that's good it's just too bad of quality to really it's almost like one of it plays out like the the sasquatch film you know where it's just kind of <laughs> yeah. like oh what's going on in that background there so i think that's what makes it you know both more of an emotional sad grief journey in the end but still really unsettling mm -hmm. as it builds up just because you're like oh god like what's what's that bloated corpse obscured in the corner the th a thing that scares me a lot is most of the ghostly interactions are after the fact. And that really creeps me out to be like, oh, I was having dinner, but there was something there the entire time that I just didn't notice. 
Like that creeps yeah. me out that you have already almost gone past the point of where, you know, you'd be the ghost could get you or something. But it's just like the fact that something was like watching you the whole time. It'd be like yeah. someone sending you a video of like uh, them filming you and you not knowing it. It just it would it's so yeah. unsettling and creepy. And to your point, like, I mean, I found this film, especially having rewatched it a few times, just how emotional it is. Like, it's all about just grief and like getting beyond a tragedy and how this family is moving forward. And, you know, it, it does end in a sort of, you know, a realistic way where they eventually are able to get over it. So despite the fact that, you know, their their daughter is gone, like her her story is still kind of continuing on. And that's kind of true of just life. Like people may die, but you still are continuing to learn about them. Yeah. yeah and I feel like the they have a grief. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's just as much a story about the family as it is about this weird, almost, you know, Greek tragedy of fate that she has to deal with, which I think is probably the more interesting element of the film just because <laughs> it comes so late and, ends up being the thing that's kind of the stinger at the end that, you know, the whole thing plays out as kind of typical, but atypically presented ghost story of unfinished business where, you know, first it's the mom exhuming the body to make sure it was really her daughter because she didn't believe it. That was kind of orchestrated by the son. But then later, all of the elements that have Alice coming back and still kind of haunting them or, or still showing that she's not content are related to this reveal that she had a relationship with a older neighbor friend of the family's that had its own implications and, and own haunting of her. But the main thing that was a problem in her life wasn't anything like human or attached or teenaged. It was the fact that she had this experience in Lake Mungo, which is not the dam. It is a dry lake in Australia where she came across her own ghost, which is, you know, again, another kind of haunting at Hill House style revelation and you know she runs into a bloated version of her own corpse as we come to realize at the end and that's what's haunting her when she's kind of dazed throughout her last you know months of life or, or however long because she realizes that she's going to drown and die and that's kind of the last thing that the family reveals to itself by investigating and then realizes like wow I guess she just kind of wanted us to know what she was dealing with at the end. And this is this thing that will never be explained and take of it what you will. But she had to basically live with the idea that she was going to die soon. And that's the tragedy of it all that she had to spend her last days thinking about that. But then that allows them to that's the last thing I think she wanted to kind of hand off to her family. And then they move away and she kind of still lingers on as shown in creepy corners and windows. But like, I, I wanted to hear what you guys thought about that as like kind of the big reveal investigation of it all, you know, to to connect this to other movies where it's like, oh, it's the, the Beetlejuice of it where they're just trying to get to one big destination. It's for her to make them realize that she knew she was going to die, you know, rather than the big thing about the neighbor or or anything else really and what why do you do that to your parents like but anyway i i think that's an interesting thing that for a ghost's big mission to be yeah and i, I think that's where i like the the cycle of it and the look at that after watching it for this first time oh i'm realizing you know what the ghost was trying to communicate what she herself was trying to communicate this these issues that they had and trying to overcome this 
circular nature of, you know, she could see her mother later on in this moment visiting her. And and then it falls off for me in parts with the, you know, the footage of the sexual encounter or assault or I'm not really sure the whole dynamic of it. It, it almost feels like they added that that line in for you to realize that she was dealing with more, but didn't didn't quite sink it in properly for me to really hook it. Like I, I, I could have had it more hinted or other things with the other girls on the trip versus this kind of new side character that then doesn't really come back at all. I think he's a red herring. I think it's a red herring to her trauma. And I think it's all playing into the fact that they want you to think like, oh, she was haunted by this relationship when really she was haunted by something like far more cosmic. So I hope that's kind of the intention because that's my read and why I think this is like something that sticks with me a little bit longer is because like this movie has nothing to do to me, ultimately, like in its final moments with the family and their healing, like that's just a process that ends like two thirds of the way through until the very end. Like it's it's kind of being resolved. It's not about the reveal of anything she was dealing with. It all ends up being like, oh, like your daughter is just a wretch who basically <laughs> like went through the worst possible thing about knowing the haunting of your own death. And now is a ghost haunted by the reality of becoming the ghost that you will be, you know, like mm-hmm. again, the, 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 the horrible character of the hanged woman in Hill house is a similar effect where it's just like, there's nothing more awful and ghastly than that concept, I guess. And for any, that's such a heavy idea that I don't think that any of the smaller ideas that the movie introduces, like, can re- really compete in your mind leaving this movie, you know? Yeah. It's like, oh yeah, what, what if a girl dated an older man? What if a girl saw her own ghost? <laughs> you know? True, but I think it's all about, you know, like you got to think about the the manner of the storytelling. And I I actually, I love the, the curveball red herring, if you will, of the neighbor being an element of the story. Like it's kind of introduced and then kind of dropped off. I think it's going to the greater theme of just people having secrets. Like that's one of the lines, like, Alice had secrets. She had, she kept secrets and she kept the fact that she had secrets secret. Like that there are things that come out about people even after their death. And, and it's such like a dark thing too. It really creeped me out the first time that, you know, they're looking for ghosts and then they see this guy who they know and was in fact like haunting them in another sense and was haunt. Yeah. You know, like I, like you said, the, the fact that she sees a ghost, like this premonition of her own death obviously is what affects her the most and we don't really get the full picture of this relationship with her neighbors which was obviously inappropriate and insidious so all these things are kind of adding up When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And I think it tracks thematically for me, you know, obviously, like you drop a plot 
bomb like okay you saw your own ghost like that's gonna trump everything but thematically like this reads so much about grief and personal depression the phantom of your own ghost is like thinking about your own death and and depression and, and all of that wound into it so having these human elements like things that normal people would be dealing with helps ground that theme i think a little bit more because if you just have a happy-go-lucky woman young woman who then encounters her own ghost and is sad about it it's harder to have these attachments of how the family would cope with that or how she would be dealing with that you know so almost to lay that foundation of like oh she was dealing with these secrets that made her feel distant and feel depressed and feel these different types of ways you know it's good to piper in those little things where it's like well these things also would have made her feel that way (laughs) and a normal person would be made to feel that way from these things happening to them all the more so now that we have this ghost reveal. Yeah, it still is just super interesting because it is just such a it is such a turn. And it's why I think I like the movie, just because it is something that makes it so dark rather than just kind of a rote ghost movie. But it is something that every time I watch, just like to see how it's presented a little bit more of like, OK, what what are they really trying to drive? You know, weaving these smaller, more relationship style details into this when you're dealing with something that is going to be outweighed by such like you know spiritual terms later on yeah it definitely makes her life story more lived in and feel more real and that the boyfriend doesn't know a bunch of things and she kind of has some friend characters it made me think of of you know what what would happen if you just picked four people i knew to interview like about me (laughs) like what other things do you find what story do you get so I, I really enjoyed that part. I mean, the once we get to the titular Lake Mungo, I was, you know, geared up and ready for a good scare, which came, and and but then that's a the good glow face. I'll tell you that. Yeah, yeah. And at the end, there's just you know, it's a lot more reflection on a life that I, I'm I'm interested to see what it's going to be like the second time I watch it, and, and things that I pick up now now knowing that she knows she's dying, or mm-hmm. some of these actions and different things she's doing differently i need to retrace some of the dates too i'm mm-hmm. kind of like halfway through started being like wait mm-hmm. yeah they jump a lot of months and i think that sense of like inevitability and just like the sadness of that inevitability is of course a huge tie to it follows and why i think this plays really well in the flow of the the psychosexual elements mixed with this like forebo- sense of foreboding and death that you're experiencing in your in your youth like obviously i think pairs very well with this despite it being far less stylized and far less you know involved with the ghostly nature of things this that's more almost of an afterthought in this but i mean i think just to queue it up for tomorrow i think it's just situated in a really good place of that sad ghost still with a mission that isn't redemptive at all but is really just to kind of almost share a sadness plays really well into tomorrow and hopefully gets you keyed up for that i i just looking at the doc of our list here i was just very pleased like hmm, i think this is well situated and i think it deals with a lot of themes that really unite some of the heavier you know it follows as fun of a romp as it is i think deals with some pretty heavy and interpretive themes and you know, I think that our our pick t- tomorrow is a very serious horror film. Yeah. yeah. So I think it, it, it pairs well in both directions. Following and follows. There is like a very clear. This follows. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
there's a, a quote by Guillermo del Toro. I believe he said it that says the best ghost stories all have an undertow of melancholy. And I mean, this is certainly, in my opinion, one of the better ghost stories because it is a depressing story, but there is a sense of hope at the end, I suppose. And, you know, like we said, it's it's a compelling story. There's a lot of twists and turns, but it's it's about this girl who faced her own death and the, her family that was left behind in the wake of it. And them kind of coming to terms with it and it feels like a like it's in conversation with crimson peak a bit too yeah absolutely i mean i think they they kind of go hand in hand i mean it, both stories are you know they're melancholy there's, there's a overwhelming sort of sadness and sorrow that is imbued in both of these films for sure yeah and i i think the the nice part of this one and you know is that it doesn't really have a whitewashed ghost ending aka ghost with patrick swayze where there's a sense (laughs) where like ghosts have their business and then they move on you know it's almost like and i think that's the kind of thing that ties it to real death is that her family moves on and they understand but there's nothing left that alice can really give to them you know like all of her secrets have been revealed her trauma has been revealed they understand it they kind of live with it and they move on and you know i think the the sad part of the very ending of this film is them coming to that realization, them seeing the evidence that shows that she knew she was going to die moving on. They move away from their home and their last photo of their home. Alice still is there, you know, and it's this Casey Affleck ghost story moment where it's (laughs) like, yeah, like people move on, but like the truth of it is that person's still dead, you know, I Mm -hmm. guess to, to carry the symbol, they don't just get to, go off to heaven or live another life or be, you know, like, oh, everything's resolved. You know, there's some grainy photo of her finally blurring away, you know, would be very against type for this movie because it's like just dealing with the fact that, yes, like the ultimate thing that that family has to deal with is that there is going to be no happy ending for this, but they can still continue to know that this isn't the end of their lives and they can move on in some small way, you know, and that's, I respect it for that choice, even though it calls into question you know a lot of like oh man she's gonna keep haunting this house yeah but uh but you know i think we have to we keep it a little bit more confined in our scope when we think about it it leaves it pretty ambiguous about the rules of what this of hauntings in general it's just like you know there there is a supernatural element to this that goes unexplained and you know i have hope that they're in the world of this film that it is sort of a happy and she's able to move on in a sense maybe she doesn't but yeah very much up to the viewer in a sense about what happens beyond this and this film along with the house of the devil are sort of like my back pocket horror films that i like to just introduce to people this one especially because you know there's a lot of found footage horror films but i think this is one of the most effective ways of doing it you know like a fake documentary like you don't see the horror films really being told necessarily in this way i think the director i read somewhere basically was like how do I make the cheapest movie I can? <laughs> and Rosea was, was like, well, if I tell this horror story in a documentary sense, it's going to be a lot cheaper. And I think he just... And it's impressive. I very mean, impressive. Especially for a, a feature debut, it's very impressive. The tone is is well controlled. It's you know Those elements work well when you've got grainy footage and it's not used too, you know, too much for cheese or anything. Like it, it, There's a lot of parts where I'm interested to rewatch where I was kind of looking around the frame confused of what's going on and i think it works to the benefit of that 
yeah, everything seems super intentional in this. And that's something that could have really been lost in this format. It's just a sense of like through line, thematic, you know, and tone through line and all of that would be a little bit difficult to to rein in in certain cases with this kind of like, oh, okay, now we're going to talk to this guy format. And especially with the nature of the found footage and the photos. But I think one of the things that um, I like most about uh, the, you know, kind of shaky cam found footage of it all, most of it's done through photography or through, you know, kind of, who is there something in the corner found footage, but the most frenetic scene in Lake Mungo is when the friends are kind of hanging out together, kind of having a laugh and Alice is having a moment where she's, you know, feeling a little depressed and we don't know why. And all of those scenes are shot on just the worst flip phone possible. Yeah. <laughs> all of the audio, you know, we're, we're flipping around all over the place. The audio is all garbled. So the sense of like it being just kind of like a fun grab ass session where everybody's just kind of playing around and, and laughing, it all sounds almost like they're being murdered. <laughs> and like you're, you as a viewer are trying to figure out like, when am I going to be scared? Because like this seems like an action packed and like something's happening, but I don't understand it. And then you're really just hit with a freeze frame eventually that shows why Alice is upset, which is just this eerie free freeze frame. That's probably the best moment of the movie in terms of scares. That is this bloated face that she ran up to and saw and filmed on her own camera that is her own. And I think that that just serves so well to be like the, the way to show what's being presented as archival footage and then holding it on that moment, but showing the full gear up to that. Like it almost played into the tropes of something like a Blair, a new, yeah. a new Blair Witch <laughs> where you're like waiting for them all to like yeah. see some demon or something. And yeah, it, it goes against your expectations. There. Yeah, it's very much that and paranormal activity, like a conversation between those two easily. Yeah, it, it's like taking like the um, you know the whole film is this faux documentary, and then it it yeah it dives into those those uh those, almost those tropes of like found footage like the Blair Witch paranormal activity, and gives you I mean there's not a, I think it's like pretty much the only real true jump scare in the film like it's been building up for the entire film to this moment, and it's very terrifying, and it kind of. You know it's coming, but it still scares the shit out of you. Yeah, and it's presented as evidence. So it like, makes sense mm -hmm. within the logic of the film where it's like, we're going to freeze this frame because it's shitty, grainy footage. And like, here it is. Like, there's the Sasquatch, so to speak. Mm -hmm. And I think that really works. And like the way they present it all, like they show all that shaky footage because there's enough glimpses of Alice to show her mental state. You know, like every that's what we mean to say. Like, I think there's not a lot of fat that didn't get trimmed off this movie. It's a tight 90 as we love, but it's also not just showing you things for the sake of showing you or overdoing characterization or anything. It's just little beats that keep the train moving and keep you feeling like she's tethered to real people and then reveals as needed, you know, almost to the degree where you get most of your reveals of the film after the sound designer credit in the credits, because they're like, we're moving, we're moving. We'll give you reveals at the end. It's a momentum. Like it's it because it the first like 20 minutes or so are pretty slow. But then once things start to kind of ratchet up, it just keeps moving and moving. And then, yeah, you get these reveals. You get, OK, there's photos. OK, there's, you know, she's in the video footage. No, she's not. All those twists and turns really just keeps going until by, you know, once you're 20, half an hour in, I was the first time I saw it, I was totally invested. And it becomes sort of a mystery that you're trying to solve along with or you're just like, I need to know what happens. Like, 
like any of of the best true crime things. Like you just making a murderer. Like did he kill that woman? You know, you don't get an answer there. But I can't remember. Yeah, <laughs> I'm trying, they're all blending together for me. Now. The one thing I want to mention is that Lake Mungo is a sacred ground, I believe, in uh, Australian culture, like uh, Native Australian culture. That apparently there is a thread that I am not do not have the authority to really discuss, but there is a very interesting article that kind of delves into it that I would recommend reading. Yeah, Mungo man and the Mungo, Mungo woman. man. Yeah. There's the there's a lot of remains human. there and archaeological digs. There's a folklore to that area that I think does maybe doesn't resonate as much with us, but w- resonates more with uh, Australians. So why were kids there for a trip? I mean it's like going to the great snake mound in ohio where we're from where it's like this is a really you know what this actually is it's pretty disturbing but you know it's what we have it's our natural thing i guess so there could be you know there's a whole thread you could read into it that there is like a you know white colonizer being on this native land and uh you know there's a sort of a a thread there that like i said i I don't want to necessarily dive into because we're not going to pull that thread but we're going to I will. <laughs> yeah, we'll let you Google it like I'm doing. Right I just now. don't want to butcher it. And like, that's why I don't want to. Go. No. And, and I think that's all the texture that they're trying to add to this, too. Like, they're just trying to say, like, oh, yeah, this happened in a, in a place that has extra amped mystical connotations. And like, you know, that just gives it all the more sense. In addition to just being a very stark, very alien landscape that lends itself to creepiness. You know, I'm sure they planned on filming some horror movie there in general and kind of backtracked forward. But, you know, I think the, the, the biggest thing that I would emphasize about that space is just kind of how it serves the, the scenes in the darkness with just kind of a weird flashlight camera amongst those rocks. It's very rocky desert terrain. And then, of course, like the last image of the film these crazy lightning strikes that show either Alice or her doppelganger. And really, I think if there's a reason to film in this location or have it even called Lake Mungo, it's to end on that crazy image. Mm -hmm. So definitely something that the rest of it being in suburban Australia (laughs) doesn't, doesn't amp it up quite enough. And then you get into that landscape and it really throws. Yeah. And it makes me want to now search more about Lake Mungo. It, it's a good it's a good detective movie that keeps kind of pulling me in the first time in there's the, the problems I have with it are are you know a bit there but a bit less interesting than the things I want to dive more into again yeah it's its flaws are definitely outweighed by its level of interest of like at the end uh, they show the Alice's you missed in every video oh she was there oh there was a fake Alice composite but there was a real Alice in the corner and you didn't see it you know so it kind of becomes this game and I think if I'm wrong you know at me but I think there are even more Alice's than even presented in the reveal at the end and it's kind of becomes this game of not oh I found it and therefore I'm cool it's like no like she's ever present there's this voyeuristic element to it you know there's this sense like Jamie was saying of that tingle down your spine of like, well, if I didn't see her, I wouldn't see a ghost in my real life, you know, or even in my own photos. What's that obscured face in the window there, you know? And I I like that that kind of Ken Burns effect of 
kind of tracking in <laughs> to all of those faces really feels directly connected to the audience too. And she's just staring right at you. And that's where it starts to cut in and becomes this experience of like, okay, Alice and audience kind of having that together because the only artifice between us is just this fake documentary. So I like I like those moments at the end because those are things that I guess within the context of the film, everything else is being presented to you as the findings of the family. But the things at the end that show Alice are presented with the, within the credits of a narrative film. So structurally, that really is only meant for us. You know, like those were never seen by the family. Yeah, they missed them. And I think that's a really interesting choice that like they didn't say like, and then years later, we watched it again and we found this. It's like, no, they never saw that. We only saw that. And I think that that makes it cool. You don't get them sitting down with the director being like, well, check this out. You get another 10 minutes. Rewind, enhance, enhance that frame. You know, that, that we don't get that. It's really just like a solemn, like, wow, that makes it creepier. And that adds some thematic notes to it. And then it ends with just you seeing her amongst lightning strikes, which I think is a very, you know, stark image, if anything else, but definitely a pretty cool interpretive thing they didn't cheat and like add her in after the fact for just the credits because in the original wide photo of the background where it's composited she is there in the right corner oh yeah although i will say she is kind of obvious now that you're looking now that you know it's there so it's oh right and i think that's the fun of it it's like the second time watching it i'm like okay i know that's coming but i never saw that the first time i'm horrible about that kind of stuff i probably saw one by accident for Hill House and going online and finding them all later, you know, as so many Vulture articles or whatever did, like that's that really just goes to show how manipulative. I say that with love. I say yeah. That oh love, no, I'm saying way. that's yeah. that's great. Like the things that become obvious later because our eyes are so attuned mm-hmm. to the Ken Burns effect, how we're being manipulated when they're showing footage and talking about certain subjects, like. It's it's a good use of very easy tricks to, you know, do a little delusion. <laughs> yeah, on this, I am. You know, I am trickery for the, the prestige for the second watch now. Yeah, it's good. It's good. And like I said, you know, it takes the technique of making a film and it's pushed to its maximum potential, in my opinion, for. And I think, like you said, it was a great follow up from It Follows. Uh, shared and it follow up, if you will. Yeah, and it follow <laughs> a lot of shared themes, you know, mortality, youth, and all that slipping away and knowing that one day you're going to die. Fucking grim. <laughs> yeah, and I, I think the the part that makes me really feel like this is a good Halloween movie is just because of that, like, slip space where you enter a certain space and you, you know, this is a theme I'm kind of obsessed with where you go into some place that has like an urban legend attached to it and you kind of cross over a boundary and you go too far and then you're in this secret commonwealth of the the goblins and the fairies and the and the ghosts and all that and i think the lake mungo experience for her really is that where you have this youthful innocence that's gone away because you kind of cross that boundary and i think that's really as we said for so many films like that thin veil between the supernatural and the natural is what comes down in Halloween, at least thematically and kind of stepping into that in your youth and the danger of it. Like that's, that's my easy case for this to be a really good feeling Halloween movie without a way that you can really cleanly put a finger on it, but you know, definitely not the hocus pocus, get you out of your seats, jump in a monster mash. It's more of a slow burn, sad fest, but definitely still hits the right themes and gets you the right kind of creeped out. I feel. And I think going along with like House of the Devil too, and 
a bit where it follows is now for me is it's fun to show it to a room of people who kind of haven't even heard of it and don't really missed it and haven't no one's talked about it it's just put it on and and it it feels like it could have been you know another Blair Witch but it just it just missed that it's kind of an evolution of Blair Witch. It's kind of taking what that film did. You know, obviously it was a huge influence on a lot of movies that came out afterward. We're trying to ape it. You know, you have movies like uh, Wreck that is like kind of going like, we're doing like a new story in a zombie apocalypse. And this is sort of like even dialing it back. I mean, it's like, Blair Witch, but fast. Yeah, because I mean, yeah. the Blair, the part of the appeal of the Blair Witch was, you know, it was the pre-internet and it was trying to present itself as real found footage, you know, and back then it was, I remember like as a kid and maybe I was just young and stupid, but like I, <laughs> there was a part of me that thought it was real, you know, like, cause it, you couldn't just Google yeah. that shit. Yeah, like, how are you sure it's not real? You're, you're exactly. doing a teacup you know, argument. Like, wait a minute. And there was a whole viral guerrilla marketing to try and make it seem like it was real. And obviously that, that doesn't really work nowadays, but this is like another way of being like, it's going so mundane and naturalistic that it comes off as real, which makes it effective. So, you know, in summation, you know, it's a really refreshing spin on like the ghost story. And tomorrow's entry is sort of the OG, one of the OG ghost stories. So we'll kind of see how, you know, we'll go down a little trek about how some ghost stories and films sort of have evolved starting and tomorrow. And it's not the phantom carriage. Yeah. <laughs> it's the carriage phantom. Whoa. Uh, yeah. And I think we'll talk a little bit tomorrow about why I think this movie and another of its year are very similar in a lot of ways, at least just in the texture of the film itself. One is definitely the more beloved of the two, you know, and I think we picked the one that's the road less traveled of of the year in question. So I think we'll kind of have some light lifting to do to explain why we think this works a lot better, not only in our playlist, but just have having a connection to the feeling that of Halloween we're trying to f- define as well. So before you uh, light your torches and raise your pitchforks about the list, we'll do, we'll, we'll start off with a good explanation of why we made this a pick, I guess. So, yeah. Well, see you tomorrow. Boo. All right. Well, <laughs> if you're, lo- if you're uh, looking for a non ghost story, then change the channel. <laughs> we got another one tomorrow. Don't touch that dial. We'll yep, see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. Thanks. Bye.